Well, hey there. Welcome to Just To Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal, Jared McNett, a reporter for the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, the big release is The Eyes of Tammy Faye, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. But if a campy biopic isn't your speed, you can always opt for Cry Macho, the latest from Clint Eastwood. Or get yourself some assassin versus assassin action with Joe Carnahan's Cop Shot. We devoted the majority of the staff pick section to hashing out Oscar buzz from the first half of this year, as well as looking ahead to some of the big award season flicks coming out across the next couple of months. Then we followed that up with a look at the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talked about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. If you like the show, uh, we'd love it if you would tell some of your movie-loving friends and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. So we were just talking about Eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, did you get to see a screener of that, Bruce? It's coming. It's coming. So it's probably tonight, yeah. Okay. And... Um, that's going to be in theaters. Did you see any screeners yet? Have you seen the, I feel like Dear Evan Hansen, which is coming out, not this weekend, but soon. You know, there's been a big push for that. I hear really bad things from Same. everybody I know who saw it. And I, it kills me because it was a great show. I loved it on stage. And they say all the things that made it work so well on stage just flop on film. Yeah. So well, it's, it's, it's a big ask of a of a concept like for a film or for for a musical even but for them to thread that needle makes it that much more interesting it seems like the the biggest achilles heel of the film and you mentioned this a few weeks ago bruce i know is that they cast the older version of <laughs> um, come on it'd be like putting me in there that's it's impossible and just because dad is producing it and just because he did really well on stage with it, he won everything. He won an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony for doing it on stage. Now, how that happens is beyond me. But this is uh, what Benjamin ben Platt? Platt. Ben Platt. His father is Mark Platt, who produces a number of films and, and Broadway shows. He's one of the producers of Wicked right now, and he's trying to cast Wicked. But, you know, I think that the Hamilton um, process of capturing it on film of the stage production is a great idea because it would solve this problem right away. They could have captured him doing what he does best on stage, then recast for the film version. And I think it would have been just fine. They should have really gone high school age with this because come on, the kid is what, 28, 29, playing a high school kid? What if they, uh, what if they just de-aged him like they did to De Niro and the Irishman? They could. We don't know. They might have. And even at that, he looks pretty old. He changed his hairdo. Maybe that's what does it. And I thought the other casting was wrong. They have Amy Adams as the mother of the kid who died and Julianne Moore as his mother. Now, Amy Adams would be a better person in that part. 
than Julianne Moore. And Julianne Moore seems a little old too. It's starting to feel a little bit like Amy Adams has lost her way with the roles that she's taking now. You think she's headed toward, I'll do a TV series. I'm ready. Well, she already did uh, Sharp Objects. Yeah, but I mean, um, not, not, a, not a quality one. I mean, just in the past couple of years, we've had this and Hillbilly Elegy and uh, The Woman in the Window, which I don't know anyone that saw that one. So that's that's three right there. Plus, she was in the Justice League, which I mean, those have made a bunch of money, but that's not doing anything for her critically either. Like the, the movies that you mentioned are ones that I feel like going into production sound like slam dunks. I mean, we've got a movie based on a multiple Tony award winning musical check. We've got The Woman in the Window, which is based on, you know, this incredibly you know, best-selling novel. And then Hillbilly Elegy is on paper, again, best-selling novel type Oscar bait. But there's just something along the way of the production where enough terrible decisions get made in each of those uh, as far as bringing those to the screen that it just falls apart. And it's not necessarily her fault. Definitely seems like she's kind of doing her best in, in all of these. <laughs> but, you know, what can you do? I think her radar for, for good stuff or her agent's radar for good stuff is a little, little out of whack. She has uh, uh, Enchanted 2 coming up. That could pull her back because, you know, Disney, they don't give up on anything. But that's not going to get any, any critics awards. That's not going to give her any, any statues to polish. It's kind of, well, poor thing has never won. She needs to win. She's young enough to where eventually something will work. She's like, though. When they have a year and they go, well, we'll throw in Meryl. That should work. And she was kind of a throw in Meryl. Meryl Streep. She'd get in there, but she wouldn't necessarily win it, which is too bad. Because I think she's very talented. Oh, absolutely. Tremendously. That's Bruce Miller that you're hearing. And we also got Jared McNett, the younger sounding voice. And I'm the, the middle sounding voice. <laughs> Hello. Hello, boys. Are you there? <laughs> we're gonna be doing this for a little bit here have you seen anything good on screeners lately bruce nothing i've been so de uh, steeped in tv stuff because it's the fall tv season starts now and um most of them are like reboots sequels there are so many ncis's and law and orders my favorite was that there's a csi reboot yeah it's back that show started when I was 10 <laughs> and they're rebooting it. Yeah. And it's and a law and order. Is it on every hour of the hour? It must be. There must be a law and order channel. It has to be. I'm sure that there's a, a Pluto channel. That's all, you know, CSI, all, all of those, every single Dick Wolf adjacent production, the Dick Wolf averse. So movies hit, we're in a real lull at this point. There's a lot of, not stuff happening like i say i'm waiting for eyes of tammy faye i really i want to see what that is when i hear andrew garfield's voice it's good he does sound like jim baker i don't know that uh jessica chastain nailed tammy at all it looks like a lot of jessica chastain's performance is in the makeup right because there's so many appliances that have clearly been, you know, plugged onto her cheeks and and face. 
you remember the the Duracell family or whatever it was? Those like the ads in the, <laughs> you know, right. there, there's a certain rubberiness to her face, which obviously Tammy Faye was known to have had a, a tremendous amount of work and definitely was a, a fan of, of makeup. <laughs> Kristen Chenoweth has been trying to do this for years and I don't know, she'd be perfect. She could sing it. You wouldn't have to add too much on her because she's a fan of the decorative arts. I think she'd be great. But Jessica, isn't Jessica Chastain a little taller too? That's the thing that just drives me nuts. Andrew Garfield is tall and Jessica Chastain is tall and they're playing short people. So why were these decisions so off the beam? I know that Jessica's a producer of the thing. So of course that means, but what happened to like Reese, you know, Reese Witherspoon? She doesn't always cast herself in the stuff that she's producing. Put somebody else in there. I really hope that at some point in the movie, there's just a uh, full recreation of the time that uh, Colonel Sanders was on the Jim Baker show and then just spent a lot of the time talking about kidney stones that he had. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, sorry, polyps. It was not kidney stones, it was polyps. <laughs> well, that changes things. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's worse or better or just a lateral. Boy. Yeah, you grew up there. You're, you're a, a child of Heritage USA. I definitely went to the water park a handful of times. It closed in 89 when I would have been six or seven years old. And I definitely have memories of going to the water park as, as a kid. Was there a, a sign that said no swearing or anything? I don't think so. The main difference, it was, it was a water park where, you know, you just, all the music was like Christian music. That was about it. Very Christian, uh, contemporary, uh, Amy Grant type stuff being piped over the, the loudspeakers. There is video footage of Jerry Falwell. Yep. I was just about to mention that. Who's played by Vincent D'Onofrio. It all comes back to the CSI uh, universe now, the Dick Wolfiverse going down a slide at the water park in a full suit and tie with suspenders. And <laughs> that was for a fundraising drive. There's so much stuff too, that you could like pick from to like make this about, like you could make it about like the original run and stuff. And then all the trouble they got in that eventually landed him in jail. You can make it just about him being in jail, which is weird enough. Or you can make it about, him having a comeback by selling food buckets. <laughs> the, the possibilities are endless. And then Tammy had a commercial career where she did a talk show with Jim J. Bullock. And uh, she was a big gay advocate um, at a point when she was away from Jim. And, uh, you know, because that they kind of frowned on the idea that she was supporting the gay lifestyle. But she said, God loves everybody, which is a is a good way of shutting down that that argument um and then she married the developer of heritage usa roe messner and then roe was sent to prison for a bit of time then tammy got cancer then tammy was cured of cancer then tammy got sick again i mean it's just there's a lot she was on uh vh1's the surreal life also uh right. she's on a season that had like vanilla ice and eric estrada <laughs> and they loved her can i tell you because it, i was around that time and you talk to people and they say oh tammy was the best we love tammy and 
I interviewed her on the phone several times and she was very, very fun. I loved her. I thought, you know, and I think if you washed the makeup off, she'd be like one of those people you liked at home. She seems very of my home period type of people. She, as an individual, was lovely in, in a lot of ways and has had a you know very complicated up and down story. The question to a degree, and I don't know how, how much the movie's going to get into this, is how culpable she is in her involvement with asking hundreds of thousands of people's grandparents to send all of their money to PTL or to buy into these timeshares where they had over leveraged everything. We've got two rooms that you can rent, but you're in a waiting list. Yeah, exactly. I'm interested just to see how the film feels and I know how it looks from the trailer. The director is Michael Showalter, who got his start in the, the comedy scene as part of The State, which had a, a series on, on MTV. And then he ended up branching off and doing Stella, which was another comedy, like sketch comedy series. And then he turned into a director, probably best known for The Big Sick, which he did a couple of years ago with Kumail Nanjiani. And yeah, he has had a really interesting career. Of the films that I've seen of his, I don't know if I would really classify any of them as being a Michael Showalter joint, quote unquote. <laughs> the other big one that he did that people might remember is uh, Hello, My Name is Doris. He did The Lovebirds, which hit Netflix last summer. And like I said, none of them have any kind of distinct aesthetic to them that you could identify as being Showalterian. There was a TV movie about Jim and Tammy, and it starred Kevin Spacey and Bernadette Peters. And I don't know if you remember that, but it was juicy. It was called Fall from Grace. So if you want to pull that one out, boy, there's a lot more there you could unpack. So that's The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which comes out in theaters this weekend. I think it's such a provocative topic that you can't not watch it. The critical reviews coming out of the, was it TIFF? And I think the Venice Film Festival are generally pretty positive. So at best, you know, it could end up getting some awards interest, probably from Jessica Chastain. And Andrew Garfield, I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to have at least one shot at an Oscar somewhere. Whether or not that Oscar, you know, potentially comes from his role in Spider-Man. I mean, is he in it? Is he in it? Do you think he's in it? Of course he's in it. Please. We can jump around a little bit here, but like, yeah, for my news item since we're talking about it, I'll go ahead and spoil it. But it's uh, Andrew Garfield. There's some set photographs that leaked of him. And Jimmy Fallon asked him point blank the other night when he was a guest on there to talk about this movie, whether or not he was in the new Spider-Man movie. And he deflected. He's like, if I say no, no one's going to believe me. So it's, it's a lose-lose. Like There's nothing I can really do to convince or deter anyone from having the expectations that they want to have. When the studios say, oh, don't say anything now. No, don't let them know. That's so dumb. You build interest if he said, yeah, I'm in it. Now you have to see how I'm in it. Because it's probably one of those things where you just see them and then they kind of morph into something else or it's a drive-by or whatever. Spider-Man No Way Home. The trailer has been dissected so many different directions and it feels like it is going to try to be all things to everyone in a way that I don't think it will possibly live up to. So we'll see. 
the other big movie coming out, it's gonna, it'll be in theaters as well as on HBO. Crime Macho, right? Jared, I know you've been on a, on a huge Clint Eastwood kick. Yes, 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 yes. Very excited for this. And yeah, one thing you mentioned uh, in the, uh, the notes, Chris, that's really funny about this is like the people that could have been in this movie would make a hell of a cast just on their own because at various points, uh, Robert Mitchum was going to be in this movie, which that's how far back it goes that this was kicked around as a movie. Uh, Roy Scheider was going to be in this movie at one point, Burt Lancaster, Pierce Brosnan, and even uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I guess Arnold, the ultimate retribution for that is that he got to be in the West Stand. So he got to be in his own Western eventually a couple of years ago. But instead, we get uh, Clint Eastwood directing and starring, which is the first time he's starred in anything since The Mule, basically as a washed up rodeo guy who has to go to Mexico to bring back his um, boss's son. His boss is played by Dwight Yoakam, one of my all-time favorite uh, musicians. And it just looks like a really good movie. Another one from Clint Eastwood, just kind of about what it means to be a man and everything that comes with that and like the toxicity that can come with that. And I'm really excited to see this one. So doesn't that plot sound like the thing Tom Hanks did getting that little girl. We're in a post taken world. We people are, you know, bailing people out of situations left and right. (laughs) We're all in a journey, right? Yeah. (laughs) Based on the trailer, it definitely seems like this is taken, but with a lot more contemplation about what it means to be going after somebody after living a life. How old is he? And is he capable of playing this kind of role at this point? 91. I mean, again, we talked about Dear Evan Hansen being maybe miscast, but couldn't he find somebody now that could play this role? (laughs) This feels like perfect casting for Cry Macho. The Mule, on the other hand, maybe less so. Any movie that puts a octogenarian at the time in multiple group sex scenes seems like it might be dubious as far as casting but the guy that that was based on was like 90 years old the actual guy from the mule so so there it's true (laughs) i take back my criticism of of the group sex scenes (laughs) starring at 89 88 at the time, Clint Eastwood. I, I take back my criticism. Give me more. Give me more of that, please. Every time I look at those movies that he makes of late, I look for the things that, you know, uh, let it go. We're moving on. Where the boom mic is in the scene or, you know, maybe somebody tripped and fell. Oh, that's good. We'll leave it. Moving on. Okay, you both think that Cry Macho is going to be good? I do, yeah. Two yeses and one I'm on the fence. Being you. Yeah, that's me. You know, he should be a Christmas time guy. This is when grandma comes to the movies. She comes to the movies at Christmas time. She's looking for Grand Torino. Grand Torino is the ideal grandma movie. And she would love it. So if she's doing this, she's getting it during pumpkin season. Couldn't Cry Macho be the Christmas season grandpa movie? Well, that's why they should hold it. It does make sense with, uh, you know, some of those other ones of his that did come out around the holidays, especially like I know the mule did and um, I'm blanking on what American Sniper was like in January. So kind of in the doldrums, 
this was, you know, because we've we talked last week too about how there kind of is a lull right now with any big movies. So maybe it's perfectly smart to have this come out right now because it's probably even though it's going to be on HBO also, it's probably going to do pretty good box office numbers. I would imagine so. He will get those people back to the theater that maybe were holding off. Yeah. First, we talked about this time of year with a lull. I know we've kind of bumped into that the past few weeks as well. When I was trying to think of staff pick type theme, I went back 10, 20, 50 years to this week to see if there was anything worth putting a spotlight on. Mm -hmm. And there's really not much. (laughs) The month of September through the the handful of years that I looked back on. I mean, I found like Moneyball, I think came out 15 years ago, which is a, a tremendous film. We have all heaped, you know, a lot of praise on in previous episodes. Um, but yeah, it just seems like September is a, a weird time. And obviously right now, release schedules are just completely out the window as far as actually meaning anything. They would have done something big for Labor Day. That would have been kind of your thing. And now it's going to be, for the most part, dullness until you get to the Thanksgiving season or award season. That's about it. Because they build for Labor Day. They build for Memorial Day. They have the summer blockbuster that would fall in the midst there. And we really don't have a lot of that. We don't have a lot of those ones waiting in the tank. And I think because they've been able to go on streaming, that's where a lot of those indie films that we might have liked, Moneyball would have definitely been a film that had gone on a streaming service. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The poster for Moneyball looks like a Netflix poster because it's just Brad Pitt sitting in a, you know, a, uh, a seat in the stands. What do we got here that we can sell? Well, we got Brad Pitt. Good. That's as Netflix of a poster as you're going to find from something that was before Netflix was really doing movies. Well, to go from Cry Macho, one stylish macho movie to another, we can look at Cop Shop, which is the the new film from Joe Carnahan. Joe Carnahan is the director who did Smoke and Aces, Narc. He did The Gray. There's a uh, movie about this uh, little known group of guys called the A-Team. Boy, there's a movie that's been memory hold completely. Right? Yeah. Dare I ask who's in this? Oh, boy. It is Gerard Butler. Sold. And Frank Grillo. Sold. I'm sold. Frank Grillo plays a con artist. Uh, Someone's got a hit out on him, and so he's trying to hide, so he ends up putting himself in jail. Gerard Butler's character ends up also going out of his way to end up in that jail so he can kill Frank Grillo's character. And then there is another hitman played by Toby Huss, who is a comedic performer. And here he is profoundly over the top. Very, very violent. And with a very special appearance by Cedric the Entertainer. Oh, boy. <laughs> that sound like that would be the casting, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the idea of, of slow motion shots of shells draining from an automatic weapon on, onto the, the prison floor. If that appeals to you, then this is certainly going to be your kind of movie. It's exciting to see that Gerard Butler may be taking some of the right lessons away from a Den of Thieves, which is he should play more scumbags. He's great when he plays scumbags. I couldn't put the script down. It was so good. I just had to do this. <laughs> 
I mean, come on. you hear this crap all the time. You know, it's like a family. We bonded so much. We even spent time together when we weren't shooting. And doing this in the pandemic, it just, I mean, it was, it was family. One of my favorite podcasts that I listen to, The Watch, they talk about, uh, they call it director BS, basically, where you'll hear directors, especially for like the Marvel movies, be like, you know, I was watching a lot of like The Godfather and, you know, uh, the friends of Eddie Coyle when we were making this. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> you can see that there's a little French connection influence here. Yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. Yep. The fingerprints of <laughs> Three Days of the Condor are all over. You know, they did that with the uh, Captain America, the, the second one. They were like, yeah, we were watching a lot of Parallax View. It's like, <laughs> okay, man. But yeah, the director BS is is thick. And uh, Joe Carnahan doesn't seem like someone who is really going to go out of his way to, you know, say that, oh, yeah, no, Smoke and Aces. I was watching a whole lot of, you know, Sydney, Sydney Pollock movies. <laughs> I was watching Breathless and I, I just got inspired to, to make Smoke and Aces. Exactly. There's. How can I say? Uh, so many influences. Movies like Narc and The Gray, and even Smoke and Aces to a degree. Smoke and Aces is a little bit more neon colored than The Gray or Narc, but certainly Smoke and Aces has a cult following enough. But Narc and Gray, when they came out, were both generated a lot of indie cred, a lot of critical love uh, for, I think... It's a very specific kind of macho-ness, the training day sort of macho-ness that has a depth to it, but is still pretty gruff. So it'll be interesting to see, again, Frank Grillo, Gerard Butler. I mean, this is, this is right up Jared's alley for sure. Bruce's, Bruce's looking like he just you know got one of the bad no. jelly beans from the... <laughs> you know, every one of those directors, if they could have a crane shot, they'd use it. I don't know. I, I was rewatching NARC earlier. And I mean, I was kind of shocked at how much of a, you know, very shaky handheld footage there is. So who knows? He's got enough of a low budget, you know, grit to him that maybe cranes are, uh, you know, not his style for this one, but we'll see. You know, this is the, the big lie that people out in our world believe is that these are very kind of crafted, auteur kind of productions where a director sits down and thinks about oh i must yes this is what i'm trying to focus on it's like three guys sitting in a room over food that's on a table that they could we do this let's do that let's do that and they throw one in it's so random that the idea that you find one who actually has some idea is rare but for the most part they're just thrilled to have a job you know so i think this is a thrill to have a job kind of film I could be wrong. Chris, you know another movie I think of and kind of related to, to NARC and some of these other ones from the, the 2000s? Another uh, time capsule is uh, Running Scared with Paul Walker. That one's another pretty gnarly like crime movie. I don't think I saw that. Yeah, I did. You did? Not a fan? Ugh. Some of those things, this is my theory, is if it's one of those movies where you, because I will go to everything. Except for horror movies. Yeah, except for horror, because that audience is not going to read a review, even if you did say something that was positive. But if I get popcorn before I go to a movie, that's my expectation, is that I at least get popcorn. So if it's bad, 
I've got the popcorn. And running scared would be a I got popcorn movie, right? You would. I like that movie, but yeah. But you like Drive too, so there you go. Yeah, and another another awesome movie. Both very cool movies. <laughs> yeah. What's the point you're trying to make, here, Bruce? I, don't know. I feel like, like you're making our arguments for us here. <laughs> yeah, there you are. Saying, speaking of Jared, I did talk to um, the people behind the TV series for Chucky. And what was the deal with the last Chucky? Did they not use the right people? I mean, they had some good people in the the latest Chucky. Like Brian Tyree Henry, for some reason, was in the Child's Play from uh 2019 and so was uh Aubrey Plaza who was actually pretty entertaining in it but did it go away from what the thing was before is that what it was because I re- wasn't this Chucky where they it's like the doll was found in some factory and it was voodooed or something yeah pretty much and uh this one it's more of like a defective thing or whatever basically yeah I don't I don't know why that one like other than maybe people were just tired of horror remakes but those happen all the time and plenty of those do well i don't know why the the 2019 movie didn't do well but um yeah what uh what did you talk about for the tv show well they're bringing like brad dorif is back as the voice and jennifer tilly is back oh okay they're going back to some older ones and then kind of Mm -hmm. if you will keeping the thread clean i think the guy who started it all he's back with it Oh, yeah, Don Mancini. Yeah. Yeah. So get ready, because there's going to be your TV show. I I think it's only like eight or ten episodes, though. It's not a huge commitment. Nice. I was curious. I pulled up the the Child's Play box office numbers and cost $10 to make, and it made $45. That's an investment. So it's in that horror sweet spot where you have a franchise and you get reasonably big enough names that are still ultimately pretty cheap. Nothing against Arby Plaza, but you know, she's not commanding these huge numbers to, to get her in the door. Same thing with Brian Tyree Henry. That would have been well towards the beginning of him making a big upswing. And yeah, so you end up with this huge return on next to nothing that you're coming out, regardless of whether it's good or bad. So I don't know. I feel like you have to like see that, see the first film accidentally when you're very young for it to really scare the bejesus out of you. I used to have a, like a babysitter or whatever. And when I'd be over at their house, like her two sons that were like, I think teenagers probably when I was really young would always be watching horror movies and stuff. And once I found out what Chucky was and that it existed, like just terrified the hell out of me. <laughs> would you like a Chucky doll for Christmas? I'm good. I'm okay. Let's do Oscar picks. Let's do Oscar picks. So you're going to make a prediction that where are you put in Cry Macho? What, what are the awards you think it's going to win? I could see it getting nominations, maybe for director, depending on how crowded that ends up being, and maybe for best picture, just because I think with some of these that Clint does, it's not going to happen every time, but like, I mean, he's in his 90s. So some of these he's going to get like, you know, the like legacy treatment for that, I think. And this could be one of those where he does. He got two of those. <laughs> he doesn't yeah, but he's kept going. I know. When they thought that Unforgiven was going to be, we'll let's give it to him because he won't be around much longer. And then he came back with Million Dollar Baby. Let's give him another one because it's good to say two. That's what I'm saying. I think it could happen again. <laughs> like, it's another not- one. 
Yeah. And then he'll be like 102 and they'll be like, well, you know, let's give him one more. Then a lifetime achievement. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of tired of those ones that they're just randomly throwing out there. Some of those people don't deserve a lifetime achievement Oscar. You know, when you got poor old Glenn Close there with how many nominations and she still hasn't gotten that get one free, give her one, give her the get one free one. I think it's time. So that's your pick for Oscar potential? Yeah, and maybe that's a little bit of recency bias, but I think that one, at least of stuff that's come out so far, is one that makes sense for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is just legacy stuff. I did make a list, and I thought, boy, it's a thin year from ones we've seen already. I do think that there is some, some movement in the documentary category, and I do think there's some movement in the animated category. Luca, I think, will definitely be in there for animated. And I love Mitchells versus the Machines. And I think that'll be in there to kind of scare things up a little bit. But documentary, we've got Roadrunner, which I think was good, and Val, good. And that I told you before, really interesting, yeah. that I love Stormlake. And until once Stormlake gets its little footing behind it, it's going to be big. It's going to be big. And then we've got the musicals. In the Heights did well. I mean, in terms of critically acclaimed, but it'll disappear because it's already on DVD now. And I think Dear Evan Hansen's already sealed its fate, but West Side Story is coming at Christmas and that could be a big, a big thing. And then in the acting categories, sorry, I'm going on, but you know me. Um, maybe, maybe Jennifer Hudson for respect. And then all I keep hearing about is how great that old, uh, uh twilight star is in spencer yeah my the name that shall not be named um well but i keep hearing that she's really good in that so she could be a, a, a figuring into this one and the only male i can think of other than i'm sure nicholas cage for pig which he's not going to get i would have loved to have like said that as a possible one but i'm being pretty realistic even though i know that like the company is the same one that was behind, you know, Parasite. Like it just doesn't seem like the kind of movie that is going to get Oscar nominations. The only one I could think of was Matt Damon for Stillwater. Mm, yeah. I think Cage in Pig, that was going to be my, my pick as far as at least a nomination. But, you know, then you come toward the end of the year and it's going to be Timothy Chalamet for Dune. And, you know, they'll pick the ones that are kind of hot or they have a profile that will carry them through. Because I don't think Shang-Chi is going to get nominated for other than special effects-like things. And Black Widow, same thing, unless Florence Pugh brings it out because they don't have enough in that category. But supporting is never a problem. So it's bleak. It's bleak. So far, we certainly have a, a ton of, I mean, we've got a Wes Anderson movie coming out. We've got a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. We've got a new Coen Brothers movie coming out. A Coen Brother movie. That is right. Singular. Yeah. Really? They're not getting along? Well, no. Uh, I think one of them is just kind of done making movies now. Is Joel the one that's still making the movie? Yeah. Ethan Coen is uh, attached to the tragedy of Macbeth. Joel is still... He's still married to last year's big winner. So that one definitely feels like a layup for like acting nominations and probably directing too. Since, I mean, it's got Denzel and Francis McDormand. 
it's, it's a Shakespeare thing. Like that one feels like an easy pick for, for nominations. There's what's the thing that Leo's in with all those stars. It's got Meryl Streep, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, it's an Adam McKay film that has potential. Don't look up. Yep. That's it. But we don't know. I mean, of the ones we've seen, I think it's thin. I'm really interested to see where the, the screenplay Oscars start to point towards, because we've got some really interesting adaptations, especially, I mean, just coming out this week, we've got Cry Macho and The Eyes of Tammy Faye, both of which are, would be nominated for adaptation, um, which could get them shoehorned into other, uh, you know, I mean, with, uh, I think Showalter was in the conversation for director when Big Sick came out. And I th- I'm pretty sure that they were, that Big Sick was nominated for original screenplay. Um, but West Side Story, they've got a whole new uh, script. And I think it was by um, Tony Kushner. Was it Tony? Yeah. So come on. And wouldn't it be interesting if a remake won Best Picture? It's got all the it's got all the right puzzle pieces to definitely get it in the mix. Well, and like I say, I thought Dear Evan Hansen was going to have a shot at something. I think it has a shot at nothing. Oh, I don't think so. That that feels completely dead in the water. Um, Golden Globes, maybe, but yeah. And I'll be there and I'll watch it and I'll love every minute of it. And I'll realize that the chances of it winning anything is zero, unless there's a song that they threw in for best song. But then you got to go up against Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's been writing a song for everything that's coming out this year. And poor old Diane Warren, our favorite, she'll have something in there. You know she's got a best song out of her. But A song for the sequel to that Gorilla movie that she worked on. <laughs> was that the one that was nominated? No, she was with the Sophia Loren one. Yeah. That was her shot. We've talked about best actor. I don't think it's going to happen, but I would be very happy if Dev Patel got a look from The Green Knight or adapted screenplay by David Lowry. I don't know if direction or any of the other technical aspects as far as like lighting or sound mix or design for The Green Knight would be up there. I'm finally getting to the place where I I, I want to watch that again and really kind of sink into it now that I know where it goes for the last third there's certainly a handful of movies that i think are are worth rediscovering and could get a a push with marketing for award season green knight being one of them pig being another what were the reviews like for french dispatch when it was in wasn't it in france did it get anywhere because that had a lot of people that easily could bring it home pretty solid but not like world beating it also just seems like there's a little more stretch to go i think it'll be what mid to late october i think is the release date for that yeah that one comes out uh october 22nd yeah i think october is going to be when things really start heating up james bond no time to die it's been time for a while now mm-hmm. <laughs> Watch. it'll be very kind of old references in the thing you was this held is this something they should have gotten out a little sooner? I'm going to go talk to the President Trump. 
Okay. There's no virus here. What are you talking about? Yeah. So we can shift into gear for news. Uh, I know I already said my my little news bit, so we can kind of skip that. Jared, I know you've got a news item that you've uh, you've thrown in there. Dateline, Hollywood, headline. Uh, inside Christopher Nolan's move to Universal, the only studio that made sense for his uh, Adam Bomb movie. This is uh, from uh, IndieWire. And basically it talks about that uh, Christopher Nolan's doing a movie about uh, Robert uh, Oppenheimer, who's one of the main physicists behind the Manhattan Project, um, which of course resulted in the atom bombs that were dropped on uh, Japan in World War II. And um, one of the most interesting things in the article that it points out is that, um, again, this is gonna be with Universal instead of Warner Brothers, which uh, Nolan has a nearly two decade long relationship. And basically a big part of the reason for it is because of like the way Warner Brothers slash HBO has been handling its releases. Yeah, not only with Tenet, but with Dune uh, as well. So it's really interesting to kind of think that um, they're going to be missing out on future, uh, you know, blockbusters from Christopher Nolan because of the way things shook out this year. Or I guess last year with Tenet, but. It's almost time to start another United Artists where, you know, the, the people who want to control their work get together and, and form a company to release this stuff. I think there was First Artists was another one that did that. And here could be a way for those guys to say, you know, I'm not just going to be your tent pole. I'm going to be more than that. Any news you want to break, Bruce? Did you see that Fox bought TMZ? What will that mean for us? I did not see that. That is news to me. Yeah. Speak, King. So now TMZ is going to be under Fox. And doesn't that, that's on brand. Will that mean they'll be mining those files of Harvey's and whatever and look at all the stuff and they'll become like shows? TMZ was acquired for $50 million, which seems low. That seems really low. Yeah. <laughs> they just operate out of a strip mall. So it's not much. It's based on the, you, you have a team. I've, I've been to their offices and it's a producer, an editor and a shooter, a person who's out there just doing the stuff. And they just send the stuff back, get it on and there they are. It's very quick and dirty, but they do have people like parked at the airport waiting to see who's coming and then they kind of ambush them. So that's their, their tactic and it seemed to work. But it'll be interesting to see what happens with this because you know that Fox wants to kind of use whatever they've got in the archives. They are going to say, you've got this story here that we could easily do with Alec Baldwin. Let's turn that into the Alec Baldwin story. So you think that that's what this buy represents is them looking to just yeah. have more content that they aren't going to have to get cleared? Yeah, I think so. Because they would own the, the property the, uh, for lack of a better term, intellectual property. And that would mean that they would, um, they could do something with it. I don't know that they just love the idea that they've got, you know, this roving band of reporters out on the street. I don't know that that, cause don't, you know, Fox can do that too. I was going to say Harvey Levin, who founded TMZ, which stands for 30 mile zone. I've read a handful of profiles of him and he definitely seems like a, uh, real interesting character kind of similar to the uh 
Jake Gyllenhaal character from Nightcrawler a little bit. <laughs> Very unscrupulous and, you know. It's he, perfect that he started as a lawyer. Yep, started as a lawyer and then, yeah, just basically started buying off, not not buying off cops, but certainly. They do pay for interviews sometimes, so or pay, pay sources, so. There's a certain journalistic integrity that he's never had much truck for. No. Having interviewed him, I liked his ability to motivate younger people. <laughs> Partly because you can just call them interns and pay them in <laughs> Jimmy John sandwiches. Like <laughs> getting paid in exposure. Right. I'm in Hollywood. I'm working in Hollywood. Come on. I like that the one compliment you could find is he inspires, he motivates young people. <laughs> well, you could say that too, though, like David Koresh, he motivated some young people. <laughs> you know how it is. I mean, how many friends do you have who said, I want to work in Hollywood? And okay, I'm giving you an opportunity to work in Hollywood. It's not like you have to go up the ranks of the Los Angeles Times or whatever. And so he's giving them an opportunity, but then they also have a crisis of their own to um, address, which is, what will I do to be able to get this? I just wonder if the TMZ reporters are still going to be able to wear like beanies and stuff now that they're owned by Fox, because that's a, it seems like a big part of the, uh, the attire is wearing beanies inside. It'll now be branded beanies. Yeah, yeah. Well... I feel like we have exhausted <laughs> whatever we can get out of the TMZ by. So Edward Scissorhands is going to be cutting this one later. So let's see what happens. You were wrong, Chris. We got a little bit more blood out of that uh, stone. Still some gas in the tank. Yes. Goodness gracious. As always, Jared, you want to take us out? Look, you, you know what I say every week. I say see something good. And in this case, the good thing that you need to go see, uh, I'm ashamed I didn't bring it up earlier in the show, but go and see Malignant uh, if you like horror movies at all. It is one of the bloodiest, grossest, schlockiest horror movies you will see all year. I guarantee you that if you even remotely like horror movies, you will have a lot of fun with it. Um, it takes a twist that I don't want to spoil that is just completely unhinged and just a lot of fun. So go see Malignant. Malignant. It's in theaters and on HBO Max, if that is your preferred method of consuming. So is Cry Macho. Yes. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show as always. Well, that is the episode. Next week, I'm sure that we'll have some hot takes about Dear Evan Hansen. But there's also the ballet drama Birds of Paradise, which is hitting Amazon. So, you know, uh, that's, that's balance, right? You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jarrett, and myself as well if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed the show and are taking care of yourself out there. As always, thank you so much for listening. Would you like a Chucky doll for Christmas? I'm good. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs>